Welcome back to the Consequences podcast with Paul McNulty and Sean McCreevy. Let's get some lights on. And what the hell is that? He started up some machine. Arguably, technology is is the raison d'etre of consequences. And as recording history um, goes on, in my mind, it should be marked as... The, the, the most wonderful technological achievement in, in recorded music. But for me, there are six stars of consequences. Godley and Crean, obviously. Peter Cook, obviously. But in addition to that, you've got the wonderful engineering of, of Martin Lawrence. Um, and we'll talk about some of the, the specific marvels that, he, that he, he conjures up for them. You've got the star of Strawberry Studios, um, this wonderful studio complex in Stockport that we visited once. Um, closed, much to our disappointment. Yeah, I stood outside and had pictures taken. <laughs> and now there's a blue plaque there. Yes, uh, well, at least there's something. Um, but possibly the star... Of consequences, and and that the whole reason it it, it came um, to be born as a project is the gizmo, which was an ingenious contraption that uh, 10CC started using very very early on in in their in their recording career. Uh, it was basically a, a box that fitted on the bridge of an electric guitar uh, with sort of typewriter keys, six keys, one for each string, and the the the, the ingenious thing about it was as you press a key, these revolving rubber wheels bow each string um, to kind of simulate uh, a violin or a, or a cello being bowed. Yeah, it was uh, unlike a, a plectrum. Uh, it was it was continuous, continuous plucking or strumming of the string. That's right. Um, um, I think there were what's that device. An Ebo. Yeah. Now, it's, it's a similar you, concept. Do you, do you happen to know, Sean, whether that existed at the time or was that? Uh, yes, I have a feeling it was a late 60s uh, invention. The Beatles might have used an Ebo. Right. Okay. And, it, and it pops up, you know, on, on the even some Oasis tunes, actually. So it's, it's been around. Not quite as obscure as the Gizmo, I don't think. Right. Now, I'm not familiar with what an Ebo sounds like, really. The gizmo or the gizmotron, I think it went by both names. Mm. It, when played well, it sounded incredible. Mm. Um, Godley and Cream, I think they actually did they build the first device themselves or did they very early on work with Man they worked with Manchester University, didn't they? That, to market right, it, it later, but did they actually build it themselves? Wouldn't well, put- the, they had a the, the prototype was built by a chap called John McConnell. Okay, um, it says here in 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 the wonderful uh, LP size booklet we've got in front of us. So, um, yeah, whether they had the technical wherewithal to actually uh, produce the thing, uh, because there's a lot of complex mechanical bits that go into revolving. Um, battery-operated rubber wheels. Yeah. And that's a tall order, isn't it? it? Tuning was a problem, wasn't it? And it was actually difficult to play with the correct intonation so that it would 
that it would sound as good as it could. I mean, Lowell Cream became probably the best gizmo player in the world. Mm. And he probably played it, possibly played it more than anybody else. And he could really make it sound fantastic in, in the studio. That's right. I mean, it, it's amazing uh, listening to Consequences three years after um, 10CC's debut album, where it's being used purely as a, a substitute for strings. Okay, now where um, when did it make its first appearance? Uh, What's well, not on the debut album, is it? I think or? it is. I think it's uh, um, Johnny Don't Do It. I think it's got a kind of corny 50s-style string arrangement on it. Okay. The 10cc albums progressed. You hear um, subtler sounds coming from the gizmo on, on tracks like "Old Wild Men," for example, yeah. where it's being used in a, in a more artistic way, and it's you're starting to get an idea of the potential it has for sound. Consequences, what you've got is an incredible uh, array of sounds that the gizmo is is capable of. Yeah, you've got you've got the sound of violins, cellos, violas, and so on. than that you've got lovely wonderful sinister bass sounds you've got the gizmo being a saxophone you've got the gizmo being a firework uh, an elephant you know a, a horse it really really is incredible I don't know how they achieved that
combination of, of, of Lowell's playing, um, the, the mechanical, the, the unusual mechanical way that the gizmo played the strings and the brilliance of, of Martin Lawrence in the studio. Yeah, I think that word mechanical is the key because now by the time, uh, by this time, 1976, when they were using the gizmo to its fullest, fullest extent on consequences, um, polyphonic synthesizers were available. Mm. So it was, um, it had competition by that time. But the synthesizers never sounded like the gizmo, did they? No. Um, because uh, it, it's a physical, mechanical sound, the gizmo. Um, mm. You know, it's it's not a synthesized sound. It's not um, created by oscillators like like a synthesized wave is. If I'm if I'm talking correctly there, so it it's it's different. I it's interesting, isn't it? Think about the the gizmo. Godling Cream wanted to do everything. They did want to market the gizmo, and had they pushed harder on that and tried to get it to market in the early seventies, which they could have done if they weren't tied up with ten cc. Um, maybe it could have taken off as a, as a saleable proposition. Mm. By the time they actually worked to market it, which was after they'd left 10cc, late 70s, it, its time had, had passed, I think. Mm. It did go on the market, didn't it? Mm. But to the, let's say, the average musician who wanted to emulate a string sound, by that stage, he or she could do that Virus synthesizer. Absolutely. Whereas with a gizmo, you'd have to multi-track yeah. uh, y- yourself many times to well, create that string section. Also, live, it was a difficult instrument, wasn't it? And Absolutely. that's, I mean, the only time I've heard a live gizmo playing is on 10CC live concerts, mm. which don't sound anything like their studio counterparts. Absolutely. Have you heard the live version oh, of Old Wild Men? Absolutely. And you, but you need about ten of the things multi-tracked yeah. to get that rich, beautiful sound. Actually, um, well, before Consequences flopped, they were looking to uh, do a live concert, mm. and they were they had all sorts of large plans, of uh, ambitious Gizmo plans, Orchestra. Giz- Gizmo Orchestra, yeah, yeah, um, but it never came to fruition, sadly. So, uh, just briefly on the Gizmo, that uh, it's been used sporadically by other other bands. Um, do you know of any instances? I, think- I, I don't by name. It's funny. I was in a, a recording studio in Manchester uh, many moons ago. This would be about twenty years ago, um, in a, a studio owned by Eight Hundred Eight State. Graham Massey. Uh, yeah, it was Darren. Actually, was running the session at the time. Uh-huh. We, we were doing a remix of, of one of our tunes, and I noticed on a coat peg behind my head was this um, cloth bag, and uh, labelled bass gizmo and uh, honestly it was like stumbling on hallowed turf <laughs> uh, I couldn't believe it I, I, at that time I didn't even know that bass gizmos existed um, and uh, the, the guy didn't even know it was there and I just wanted to <laughs> you should have you run out to, with it I just he, wanted he, to nick he would have been none the wiser did you get to play it? I didn't I didn't I think right. he said that the rubber wheels had um, ah, disintegrated right. yeah so 
Um, I don't know where you'd buy gizmo wheels. <laughs> no, you'd have to make from scratch, wouldn't you? Yeah. Um, trying to think where it was used. I think Paul McCartney used gizmo. He did. Uh, gizmo is on I'm Carrying. Do you know that is a track from London Town? I've got London Town. Okay. Um, Do you know I'm Carrying? Let's listen Insert. to it. Let's listen to it right now. I wanted to uh, read out an extract from the the booklet, Paul, uh, and I, I love this this little section. It's a. Uh, Sleeve notes written by Paul Gambaccini. And uh, this is the story of how they made the gizmo sound like a saxophone in When Things Go Wrong. Mm -hmm. Getting a guitar to sound like a saxophone seemed like an impossible task, but it was achieved after three days in the studio. Each note of a guitar solo was recorded separately and faded in on the track so that there'd be no per percussive element. The track was sent through a speaker and out of a rubber hose with a perforated cigarette paper at the end. Enough pressure was displaced by forcing the sound through the holes of the cigarette paper to give the rasp of a saxophone. I mean, that's incredible, isn't it? It is. It also begs the question, why not get a saxophonist? Which they also did, because <laughs> Mel, did, Mel yeah. Collins is on, right. that, is on that track, yeah. right? So it's you've got a duet between yeah. the, uh, the laboriously recorded um, gizmo saxophone and a real sax player, but it's incredible. I mean... The whole album was so painstakingly recorded. Uh, the fact that they recorded that solo note by note and then blew it up a pipe. Mm. They recorded uh, about a minute's worth of finished product a day. Yeah, I'm surprised it was that much. It's to be not honest. bad, actually, if you compare it to you know today's productivity, if you break it down that way. Um, but at the time, that must have seemed uh, very indulgent. Um, Consequences was, reco was recorded at the original Strawberry North Studios, wasn't it? In, it was in Stockport, although and then and then Manor, right? But it recorded at night, wasn't it? Because the, it was a commercial enterprise, and there was bands in during the day. Mm. And uh, Godly and Cream recorded at night, I think. Yeah, they did. Um, something like nine in the evening till till six in the morning or something. Yeah. And they were holed up in Piccadilly Hotel. The Piccadilly Hotel, which is now called something else. I can't remember what, but... Um, and they'd be... Uh, they'd, they'd use the daytime to kind of practice bits and pieces and, and get the album art together, didn't they? Sticking cotton wool balls on a on Wow, a I'd love to have seen that. So they they were in a, a hotel suite or at least a very big room somewhere. In With the, lots of glue and paint. Yeah, we should say they didn't actually share a room as far as we know. They, <laughs> they both were and still are married as far as I know, <laughs> not to each other, um, at least legally. I mean, art <laughs> it was an artistic... Uh, it was an artistic marriage, without a doubt, which ended in a divorce, just like the couples and consequences. Yeah. But we'll come on to that another time. Sure. But the artwork was incredible, wasn't it? Well, yeah. Well, they, they were multimedia artists, weren't they? They both went to art school. Am I correct in that? I know, yeah, definitely. Uh, did lol. I know Kevin went to Stoke Art School, didn't he? You know more than I do. Does getting into Zappa mean getting out of zen sex has rid its ugly head at last 
But it didn't look ugly then Begin the biggie Art school canteen Artistic and even pre-10cc They actually had some product out They wrote books, didn't they? Didn't they do an illustrated uh, pop-up book Of the Charge of the Light Brigade? Do you know that one? No, I've heard of that uh, I think I've seen pictures of it. Incredibly creative minds that, that mm. for a while was were channeled solely towards music, mm. but it, it it couldn't it couldn't stay like that. And the visual element came out. This this is why consequences is so fascinating, really, because it's the the time where their recording ambitions were almost hijacked by their visual. Um, approach if that makes sense mm. they 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 were getting back into uh visual art you know it was hiding in plain sight and some, suddenly they were making a movie but it was in sound mm. they perhaps didn't even realize i don't know uh maybe they didn't even realize what they were doing when they set out no that's right and of course by the the very next album uh l uh the, the next year uh and freeze frame um so we're looking two years into the future from Consequences, um, they made that groundbreaking video for An Englishman in New York, didn't they? Yeah, which was their first video, right? I believe it was. Yeah. With those incredible sort of animated um, puppets playing the, the trumpets and so on. Uh, I don't know, you call it animated, animatronic almost? Yeah. Incredibly uh, sort of sinister, futuristic, unique. <laughs> But a lot of the power in that video and their subsequent videos comes from the editing, right? Mm. Um, it, they've said in interviews it was the editing suite where they really got turned on. And that harks back to their recording career, obviously, where the, the edit or the manipulation of mm. what starts out as real sound into an artificial assemblage of sound yeah. is, is what gives it its power. Incredible. And, uh, have you ever seen the music video for Wide Boy? Love it. Uh, it's amazing. You show that to your I do. students. I used to, yeah, I used to, used to teach uh, media at a college and in my music video unit, I'd always show them uh, the Wide Boy um, video and the students were really inspired by the fact that the, the action is kind of magically transformed from live action into a, a photo of the live action you've just seen. Yeah. That, that the two of them, or Kevin Godley, then bursts through this paper photo into the next scene. And uh, This is I mean, a great subject for a podcast. We can't show you it, but yeah, how, no, how, exactly. how, how does that work? Do they have to have a massive poster then of the thing they just filmed? Yes. And then they went back and refilmed it again 
smashing through the poster. Yeah. Is that the way they did it? Yeah, uh, it's, it's outrageous. That's incredible. It must have taken a long, long time. Completely unknown, that song and video, isn't it? Absolutely, and I've never seen anybody do that, that effect ever since. Yeah, and of course it would be dead easy to do now, but it's never, it's never been redone. No, not, not easy to do because you'd still have to print out an enormous uh, right, paper I beg your pardon. effigy of, of the scene. And am I right in thinking Godley and Cream themselves never really used that technique? I don't remember seeing that in a, you know, a video they did for either, you know, Duran Duran, Frankie Goes to Hollywood, The Police. I'm sure not, but uh, one of our listeners might be able to correct yes. us on that one. Yes, well, it just goes to show that the, 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 the width and depth of their creative, well, if they didn't have to reuse an idea as brilliant as that. White boy sitting in the back row, necking with his girlfriend, going to a go-go. White boy really going nowhere, victim of the 60s. I'm something of an expert, but can be fallible. Here's just a little footnote, a disclaimer if you like. Paul and I have been in discussion about the whole issue of whether the Gizmos played on Johnny Don't Do It on the first album. I think it is, but Paul's convinced it isn't. So the jury's out. Maybe one of you kind listeners can fill us in on that one. Thank you. been listening to the consequences podcast produced by paul mcnulty and sean mccreevy thanks for listening